HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We're doing a special show in February 2015 at the Two Roads Brewing Company in Stratford, Connecticut. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. Today we'll be live tweeting when you hear the show. Check us out at, at beer underscore sessions. That's a great way to keep track of us and uh, stay in touch. So uh, for a long time we've been good buddies with Phil Markowski who uh, wrote a great book about farmhouse ales and, and was a brewer for a long time at Southampton Public House. And uh, he's part of uh, the, the co-founder and uh, Master Brewer for uh, the Two Roads Brewing up in Stratford, Connecticut. Really special day today. I'm with Emily Souter and uh, John Kleinchester, who's a good buddy, all, all part of the staff up here. So uh, we're in Stratford, Connecticut, uh, drinking away, and uh, cheers. Welcome to the show. So, yeah. Phil, it's, it's so great to come up here. I know this is a, a very special uh, place now. It's uh, what, the, the largest brewery in Connecticut, but you're making the best beers uh, and specialty beers, so... Oh, yeah, we're we're trying. Well, um, we it's uh, first of all great to have you here, Jimmy. And um, two roads is something that um, you know was was the germ was planted probably twenty years ago um, between myself and Brad Hiddle and Clem Polani, who are you know we're three of the four founding partners, and we started talking about doing our own brewery, you know, somewhere in the mid nineties. And uh, we kept in touch over the years, worked together here and there on various projects. And then um, when Brad was was uh, chief marketing officer at Pabst and uh, Pabst was sold, he didn't want to work for the new owners and said, hey, let's let's start this brewery once and for all. So Two Roads was, uh, you know, was uh, born in uh, 2011, roughly, where we started to seriously talk about it and um you know, 2012, the end of 2012 is when we opened up. So uh, we moved quickly once we made the decision to go forward. Um, the name itself has, has multiple meanings, but it's it's drawn from the Robert Frost poem um, where the key line of uh, taking the road less traveled was, was a mantra that we applied to two roads in, in various ways. Um, you know, just for a sense of place, what is so cool is that, that Robert Frost, was he a New Englander? Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm definitely in New England now, and I'm from New England. And being this little town of Stratford, there's like an old uh, gas station across. What is it, Sitco, Emily? Yes, Sitco. And the the old little houses that remind me of like the 1950s. You really feel like it's a sense of place. I know a lot of our listeners, when they come to the New York area, they want to, they want to travel to breweries. I think going to breweries is one of the most popular things for people now. Um, we're not too far away. You can take the the train up here, or you can drive up Route 95. But you guys, this, this is a complex, so you're making great beer, but you also have a tasting room, and it's really worth, worth the visit. I mean, for Emily, what else are you guys doing up here? You've got a tasting room. Tell us about some of the programs that you guys offer. We've got a tasting room that uh, holds about 225 or so. How about that? Um, Saturdays, this place is bumping. I mean, it's insane. Um, we're in a 100-year-old factory. This used to be the U.S. Baird factory. They made um, four-slide metal bending machines, so... They made piston parts for GM in their heyday in the 50s, and 500 people worked in this facility. Um, it's pretty crazy. And they worked three shifts, 
just like us. So, um, <laughs> a little more, you know, we don't have 500 people working here. Um, but um, in the summer, we've got a beer garden that's outside. Actually, this summer, we're going to have a new uh, lawn put down on the other side of our facility, and we're going to do a concert series. We've got um, a concert in June called Road Jam. We do an Oktoberfest. We do a 5K beach run in August. Uh, I mean, we're there's an event room that seats about 75. Every weekend, there's a 30th surprise birthday party. Apparently, that's what people do 30's here. 30's a new 20. 30, yeah. That, <laughs> so and that's that, yeah. awesome. This, this, so there's a sense of place here coming mm-hmm. up here into New England, and, and John Clanchester drove me up from the East Village today, and the first thing, I was waiting the whole ride. It wasn't that long, but I just was dying for one of your pills. And so I had two pills just before the show. But we're having a great time. And, John, too, on the way up, you said, so you, you, you feel that this brewery here in Stratford, Connecticut, kind of saved this town. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you as much about Stratford as, as these guys would just because I don't get to spend as much time up here. But um, from what I understand, you know, th- you know, this was a very industrial town. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think that you know we, we became a little bit of a beacon here, and uh, people sort of rallied around having a hometown brewery uh, in Stratford, and I think uh, a lot of the locals seem to enjoy showing up and coming to our our bottle uh, release events, and uh, you know just supporting us, you know supporting local. Obviously, you know we have the same thing going on in New York City, but it's it's nice to have something in Connecticut that sort of draws people in, you know. And uh, just to add to what John said, I mean. The reality here, we took over uh, a, a building that had been vacant. You know, once had, you know, it was a symbol of the local industrial might. And unfortunately, that sort of thing doesn't happen very often. And when we first opened the doors of our tasting room a little over two years ago, uh, it was really um, impressive and frankly, heartwarming to see the number of local people who turned out immediately, who, who were here to support us, who were interested in it, um, what we were doing. And seemingly had no idea what craft beer was. And now we hear from those people that, you know, I can't drink but anymore. I can't drink the beers I used to drink because you guys have turned me on to, um, you know, different beers. And, and that is honestly one of the most satisfying things I can hear is people who, who had really no concept of craft beer but came in because we were local, because we are here, because we came in and resurrected this building and now they're diehard craft fans and that's just a few things more satisfying than that honestly it's just really great to see and we see it every day seems to be a big part of what craft beer is is even in, in the city going out to the last stop neighborhoods and queens and bronx and having people set up breweries it's it's changing the neighborhoods and it's it's so great to be part of that and come on yeah in. So in terms of the beers i mean what's the first beer that we're drinking uh, we're bring, we're right now we're drinking uh, Workers Comp, which is our um, saison, and this one is is uh, I guess what is now being called session. This is a sessionable beer, in that it's below five percent alcohol. It's about four point eight percent alcohol, and it it um, is in that sense related to the farmhouse ales of yore, where they were lower in alcohol. They were really more of a refreshing drink, and people did drink them throughout the day. Um, you know, back in the heyday of the saisonneur, which is a was a, far, a name for a migrant farm worker in French-speaking Belgium, um, they used to get a ration of nine liters per day of of beer per so, person. Per person, wow. apparently. <laughs> I mean, that's that's uh, two cases of change. So it's it's a lot of beer. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a case of beer, and and to to have that throughout the day, it had better be low in alcohol. And, and refreshing. So that's what we modeled our workers' comp over, and that's where the name comes from, because it was part of the compensation for these, you know, these migrant farm workers. And we also kind of used some imagination, which you really have to do with Cezanne, you know, having researched the book on it, I can tell you there's not a lot of historical uh, documentation on what the style was. So there's, you know, there's some conjecture that you draw. Uh, in our case, we use a wide variety of grains in the beer, you know, most beers are made with malted barley, some malted wheat, you know, as people know. And, of course, malted barley and malted wheat are, are in workers' comp. But in addition to those, uh, there's raw wheat, there's raw and malted oats, and raw and malted rye, So there's and spelt. So there's a, a wide variety of different grains in this beer, which 
It's just where it derives some of its complexity. And I have to believe that's how it was in the day of, you know, the heyday of farmhouse brewing. They brewed with what they had on hand. So that's kind of our connection to that era uh, with workers' comp. And we also use a, you know, very expressive saison yeast, which generates a lot of fruity, uh, particularly tropical fruit flavors. So it's, it's your, your one of book. These. It's a, it's farmhouse ales. I know a lot of home brewers read it. It really influenced. Uh, do you think that your book helped resuscitate the saison style? Uh, I, I think certainly indirectly. Um, it just kind of laid out some basic guidelines. What I tried to communicate in the book was that uh, the, the the people who've been producing saisons for a long period of time have kind of put their own spin on it. That that it's not. Um, this very neatly defined style of beer, which, you know, many are, and that tends to be the emphasis of, you know, those who come from the either British or German tradition, which is really, you know, the, the established breweries in America and that, and, and craft brewing, those are the early influences. So everybody kind of is used to this strict definition of a style. Um, but the Belgians tend to zig where others zag. And, and so it's really about your own interpretation of what that is, but you know, if you could classify certain common characteristics of saison, it would be that they're generally speaking very dry and refreshing and fruity. You know, you can apply those three kind of uh, parameters and work a lot within those to to create your own version. And you it's, know, from your book, Phil, I mean, you, you define this this beer de guards and saisons, and I know even the saisons that I've tried, even from the same producers, they might be as low as something four percent refreshing and light up to a seven or eight percent um can you define for us the difference between a beer de garde and a saison well um you know however similar the two styles might have been if you know i can loosely use the term style you know it's a regional brews that were made in this relatively small region uh evolved over time and they're not as old as some people may think. You know, the modern beer de garde style is something that kind of spun out in the 1970s. And certain smaller French brewers adopted that style and ran with it and applied modern lager brewing techniques to those to create something, you know, a little bit distinct from Saison in that most modern beer de gardes are relatively clean in character. They don't have these really intense fruity flavors that the yeast generates as saisons do they also have a tendency to be more malt driven and you know slightly sweeter fuller bodied so so those are characteristics that separate the two styles although they were born of the same region they've kind of morphed into being uh you know two now distinct styles the french brewers have taken the beer de garde as, as their tradition and run with it and then the uh, on the other side of the border, which used to be one region called Flanders, but on what is now Wallonia, the French-speaking section of Belgium, uh, they, they've tended toward the fruity, drier uh, saisons. But I, I remember that Don uh, from Van Bergen de Wolf, he said when he first started his importing company 35 years ago, he went to Saison de Pont, and they were close to discontinuing that that style. Um and it's amazing now because for us, we think of saisons as being such a key part of craft beer. Well, you know, as it stands now, there's, in terms of sheer number of brands of saison brewed, there's probably 10 times more brewed in the U.S., and that may be an understatement, than there are in its native Belgium. So, craft, American craft brewers have certainly taken it uh, and reinvented it, reinterpreted it, and it's all good. It's all exciting and and a lot of interesting stuff is coming out of it, and there's there's no end in sight. Are there other American uh, brewers that you really like their saisons? Um, there are. I mean, I like I like the stuff from Crooked Stave. You know, that's that's really interesting. Um, uh, you know, who else is uh, Boulevard Tank Seven is is a good one. Um, that's a tough question. to <laughs> Don't want to point on question. Well, <laughs> yes. no, we, we so, tried Mystic from uh, in uh, Chelsea, Mystic's Madison. Oh, they have a yeah. table beer, which is like this session one, and then they have a, a 7% saison. Yeah, there, there are many, many good ones out there. There's just, you know, where to begin without a list in well, front of me. It's talking to... about the beer we just had, so you have the workers' comp saison, these beautiful tasting glasses, and, and I will say again, I'll put in a pitch to 
to come out to the brewery up here, up in Stratford, Connecticut, because the beers, you know, this is, uh, was this from directly from a tank, or this is on tap here at the brewery? This is on tap from our tasting room, so we just took it off. So it just tastes super fresh and good. And, um, you know, how do you feel about your beers, you know, when, when you're a brewer, you've got more control at your tasting room than you do almost anywhere. Um, then how do you ever feel about the, 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 are you worried about the quality ever of your beer being on tap at some bar in New York City that you've never been to? You know, these issues come, how do you guys have to deal with that as brewers? You know, wondering about the quality issues of serving your product. Because like right here on the spot, this is one of the best saisons I've ever had. It tastes super fresh and good. Well, thank you. Yes, it's true that, that obviously you have more control at the brewery than you do once you ship the beer out. Once it's in your distributor's hands, uh, you lose a certain amount of control. And frankly, it's where we rely on people like John, our sales staff, to, to you know, um, police that, that, that the beer is fresh, that it's on tap. And where it's on tap, it's taken care of. It's not sitting there too long. Um, you know, there's certain things you can't control. How often does the account clean their draft lines? But... Generally, people who, who are into good beer, uh, proprietors of beer bars, know to clean their lines off and they take care of things. Uh, the fact that a lot of people are getting beer in six barrels as opposed to half barrels means they're selling through faster. So the beer's not, not lingering. I mean, this is a whole different era from when I first started. You know, people are seriously into craft beer and it sells, it moves. So it's not like the old days where, you know, you had to go in and drink it yourself or you know send your friends in there to keep it moving it's just it it's moving and it's 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 great and and again there's there's no end in sight to, to this but. john in, in new york city which is where you're the rep what are some of the accounts where we could get two rows on draft uh wow uh there's a lot uh the first ones that come to mind are uh, blind tiger barcade um <clears throat> right now randolph beer has us on tap um i mean really most of the of the ones that get craft beer will will rotate us pretty frequently. Um, that's the great part about beer is that you know everyone's sort of rotating in and out for, uh, like all the time. So um, you know we, you can sort of find us anywhere. Um, at the very uh, at the very least, we have some bottles in in certain accounts. But you know um, among our best accounts are Blind Tiger Barcade, um, Valhalla on the uh, on the west side, Beer Culture in Midtown, uh, occasionally at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. You know all the all the all the good places that you'd expect to find good beer. I'll tell you when you listen to this show, it's going to be New York City Beer Week, so mm-hmm. there's a lot lot of great beers to taste, and including them two roads, which you'll find at many great places in New York City. We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special mobile recording at Two Roads Brewing in Stratford, Connecticut as part of New York City Beer Week. We're having a great time. We just we just uh, drank the Workman's Comp uh, Saison uh, with Phil Markowski, the, the brewer and co-founder here. And uh, Emily, what were you saying about this? This next beer is uh, also really awesome. Cheers. Yeah, this is our uh, Road to Ruin double IPA, um, 8% alcohol. It's uh, our number one beer in every region that we're in, except New York City, where our Pilsner, your favorite, is our most popular. Is it really the Pilsner? Yeah. So, um, well, I, I did that with John Clanchester, my good buddy. You know, this is the fun part of this brewery is that, first, we have a great brewer that we've known for many years, and John Clanchester is like, had this great site, he still does, the hashtag beertography, you know, you take pictures of your beer and post it. And so I always knew him for that, and then... For a while, he was asking around. He wanted to get a job as a beer rep. And this is, make it this is the story of two roads. Right? <laughs> you guys brought together these cool people. So, John, you got a, you got the best job. You you had a crappy job working at uh, what what kind of show? Do uh, we MTV. Wanna, yeah. Yeah. You know, even people would think you're you're a young person. You want to come to New York? Oh, I could work at MTV. Well, he did that. I did. And instead, he's chosen to c- come work with these guys at Two Roads. But why did you want to be a beer rep for so long? Uh, well, mostly because I had such a strong passion for craft beer. I mean, um, you know, I think we all have our story of having our sort of craft beer epiphany, uh, some earlier on than others, but, uh, you know, you have your story and then, you know, you sort of fall into it and you realize how much you love it. And then you really ingrain yourself in the culture, especially in New York where there's so many, 
even, you know, I don't know how many years ago, but, you know, there's amazing crappier places that have been around forever, like your place. Um, so you sort of find yourself hanging out at these places and you, you realize that it's such an amazing scene. Everyone's so uh, great. Everyone, all the people that work in the industry are so great. And so, of course, for a long time, I was supremely jealous of everyone that, that worked in the industry and, you know, made friends with a lot of people who were already working in the industry. So you got the job at Two Roads, you're the rep. Uh-huh. So what, what's your typical day like? You know, I mean, what do you do as a beer rep? So uh, for me, working in the city, for the most part, my days are um, basically loading up my backpack with uh, samples, fresh samples, and then heading around. Basically, I'll, I'll pick a, a neighborhood to, to work that day. And uh, usually I'll try to list out some accounts that I want to make sure that I, that I see um, and uh, either, you know, deliver our, our newest beer, which is, you know, we, we're constantly coming out with Phil's newest creation, you know, our new seasonal, all that good stuff. So I like to drop off new samples of that. Um, but basically it ends up being a, a situation where I'm carrying around a large backpack full, filled to the brim with uh, different beers and dropping off different locations, trying to to get some face time with uh, beer uh, bar owners. So and, you said uh, so, you said the other day you went to Queens. So yeah, what, what are some of the accounts in Queens? Because Queens has its own beer week. You know, talk about beer week. There's some great new beer bars in Queens. Queens is uh, exploding. I mean, the Astoria section alone has uh, become this sort of craft beer row. Uh, Broadway in Queens is amazing. Um, you've got um, you know, places that have been there forever since, like uh, Astoria Beer and Cheese, uh, you've got uh, Sunswick, uh, just to name a few, and then Judy and Punch just opened, the uh, same owners as uh, One Mile House in Manhattan. Uh, but yeah, like, so Queens, like, I just, you know, in fact, uh, went around to both, there's two Astoria Beer and Cheese locations now, one uh, on Broadway and one in the Dittmar's location, and actually, I believe they're opening a location in Manhattan as well, but uh you know, the Astoria area is just sort of, um, it's really finding its footing as far as craft beer goes. Um, it seems like not, no more than three or four years ago, there was really a, it was a, a bit of a, not a lull, but, a, you know, there wasn't that much. Now it's like, you you can't go more than two or three blocks without hitting a nice craft beer spot. Um, so, yeah, so I was I was all over that place uh, yesterday. I'm talking about new, new neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, one reason we're here is I know you're celebrating the 25th anniversary of, of you as a, a pro brewer, Phil. Yeah. I mean, tell us what it was like in the early days trying to sell beer in your city. Well, I, I can say it was more difficult to sell beer even, you know, a couple blocks from where you were. There, there just it wasn't this keen interest in local as there is now, for one. And people were suspect of something that was made locally. And I think uh, that may have been a fallback to Prohibition days where, you know, getting a beer from some unknown place, say St. Louis, you know, some far off place, <laughs> somehow seemed better to people than, you know, getting a case of Schaefer, for example. And and it's really unfortunate, but it's what happened, it seems. So, so reversing that mindset took some time. Um, granted, there were plenty of people who were open-minded who were just really, wow, local beer, that's great. I got to, I got to try it. So... So you had some successes, but um, unfortunately, back in the early days, there were fewer uh, successes than failures in terms of trying to sell the beer. But, you know, it also, and I'm not a salesperson, but our, you know, salespeople that we had that were successful had a a sort of uh, evangelist side to them where they wanted to go and convert people and, you know, explain why craft beer is better, why fresher is better, why local is fresher, all of those things. Um, it's certainly gotten easier. And, again, it's it's all part of the explosion that's taking place these days, which is, is fantastic to see and, frankly, something I didn't didn't imagine would ever happen, to be honest, you know, based on the early days. But, um, well, I guess something to celebrate. Yeah, Usually at 25 cares. years they talk about retiring, but you're, oh, yeah, yeah. you're, you're starting <laughs> your next phase. Well, Road to Ruin, so... We're drinking that. So Emily is saying that it's one of your most popular beers. It's our most, most popular markets. beer uh, in Connecticut, where we are now. And then we also just released it in a tall boy can, uh, which is that came out about a month ago, and it's doing really, really well. We just came went into Vermont, and I keep seeing photos on social media of my Vermont haul, and it's you know the Topper and the Lawsons, 
and uh, you know, and then the four pack of Road to Ruin cans is right there in the front, and it's really cool to see that Road to Ruin's getting the respect it deserves because it's delicious. It's great. <laughs> so tell us about this beer. The so the Road to Ruins double IPA. It's a double IPA. It's eight percent alcohol. Which um, there may be some people who say, "Oh, it's not a double IPA," but to me, that's uh, you know, it, it's plenty strong. You don't want you know, you, you don't want the alcohol to become too dominant in the beer. You, it's got to be part of the flavor profile, and you know, you, people want to be able to drink more than one too. So, eight percent, I think, is is um, where it needs to be. And in terms of its flavor flavor profile. Um, you know, it's about the hops. There, there is there is some malt in there, obviously enough to balance hops. Really, it's a hop show. And in Road to Ruin, we apply what we like to call the two roads approach, and that that we do something a little different, and we emphasize some hops that are not widely used in craft brewing. They're they're Pacific Northwest hops still, but they're not the you know this gotta have varieties they're you know unsung varieties so uh summit and palisade are examples of of the hops that we use in road to ruin and kind of give it its signature character which i would describe as being as having a strong citrus fruit component particularly tangerine um and and it's you know it's again about the hops but it's not the hops are not so um dominant that they stick on the palate you know endlessly you know, I believe in balance, but this one is more about hops than it is malt. It has both, and we make beers of... You know, for a double IPA, it's, it's pretty well balanced. And again, I think uh, balance should always come into any style of beer, regardless of, of how extreme it might be, one end to the other. It, there's always got to be a give and take, I think. So what, what kind of a brewery staff do you have? I mean, we've got... Emily does like merchandise and PR, and, and John's a rep. And but you, you're running the brewery operations. Like, how many staff do you have? And what are the jobs that actually have to get done here? Well, we have all told, we have uh, we're pushing sixty employees here, and that includes you know, bar staff, uh, people like John who are out in the field um, selling the beer. Um, you know, we have we have a lot of people who work here, so. Um, you know, we have three ship. We're working three shifts in the brewery, five days a week, twenty-four hours. Does that mean you're brewing day and night? Day and night, five days a week, and by this summer we'll be twenty-four-seven. So we currently have three brewers on each shift, sometimes four, and that's just going to grow this year. So you know, the brewing staff is is pushing twelve people at this point. Um, you know, sales we have, and I don't quote me on numbers, but something like ten. Uh, 10 to 12 people in sales. Emily's does social media. Um, yes, I'm the marketing department. And marketing. <laughs> and how, do, how do you hire brewers? Because I mean, you're probably going to be hiring more brewers. Well, you know, we, we do get a lot of people sending emails and resumes saying, hey, I'd love to work in the brewery. Um, and most of our brewing staff uh, has kind of come up through the ranks. Um, even, you know, whether... Before two roads, there were a number of people on our staff who worked, who volunteered in breweries because they really wanted to do it. So they worked for free. And knowing that when they come here and apply is, is certainly worth something because it knows it truly love brewing. And over the years, I've seen a number of people, any number of people who said, oh, that'd be really cool to work in a brewery. And then they spend a couple of days and realize that, you know, it's not glamorous work, at least to start off it's it's physical work and you're you're doing a lot of cleaning you're that's why i'm not a brewer. pulling hoses around <laughs> I hate the cleaning part. you know it's I like so the there's drinking a lot part. of that yeah. <laughs> well it's that's why you have a bar um so so it's you know that's kind of a good filter if somebody really is truly into brewing and is passionate about it then then chances are they're a good hire so we've kind of used that criteria successfully so far and, you know, we have a tremendous staff, you know, the sales side, marketing, uh, brewing, bar staff, everybody is just, we have a really fantastic team here. And it's great. One thing I always wanted to ask you is, you know, you, you've brewed in, in different facilities and, and over the years. When you opened here at Two Roads, like what's the, what was the learning curve for you as a brewer working with the system here? 
Uh, I got to say it was pretty substantial because, you know, in spite of um, having been in the business 20 some odd years before we started Two Roads, uh, I had never worked with a system this large. Well, I've worked with as a contract brewer and other facilities with systems this large and larger, but I wasn't responsible for their operation. Um, and here, this is a much more sophisticated system than I had previously been exposed to. This is a state-of-the-art brewery we have here. And there's, you know, latest technology and automation that, that uh, we utilize to, to brew our beers. And the advantage there is that brewing being a time-sensitive operation, if you can automate portions of it, uh, then you get more consistent results batch to batch. So... That's that's a huge advantage, and that was something new to me, frankly. So there was a, there was a lot to learn here, um, and it's a big place, and it's sophisticated equipment. So it was quite it was a far cry from what I had been used to, which was primarily working on pub systems and you know being a some homemade system. So it was a good leap, but we survived. And when you when you start when you make a new beer. I mean, do you make it on the full system, or do you make it like a, a test batch first? How do you go about creating your recipes? Um, I mean, because we didn't have many other options, we, we often, you know, I, I've often just jumped right in. Um, you know, I've been doing this long enough where I feel comfortable jumping right in. Um, but now, here are two roads we're about to christen our pilot brew system, and that will be an added attraction for people to come visit our tap room because we'll have on average two different beers on tap available only in our tasting room uh, per month, including a single varietal hop uh, extra pale ale series. So we use, we've gotten a bunch of experimental hops that are not currently available uh, on the market. And we're going to be doing some single hop, brews and you know we'll learn learn from it and our customers will learn from it but well, that's the taste room here is awesome here. I love the fact you're making the beers here I feel like there's more people being drawn to go into tasting rooms and breweries so Emily I mean what's the typical crowd like that comes here to Stratford to, to taste beers on, on site uh, during the week there's a lot of we have tons of regulars I mean you walk up there and everyone knows everyone's name all the tasting room staff are, you know, it's a real family environment because it's a lot of locals. On the weekends, I mean, twenty-one-year-old college students from the local like university up to you know f- full families like you know anyone over twenty-one because it's a twenty-one and up place. But like grandparents are here. Like I've taken my aunt and uncle here, even in a tour. I mean, the the age and the diversity of the tasting room is insane and it's really cool to see everyone coming to try the beers you know even if they don't like beer there's always something that they can find that they like um it's really cool the tour when i see pictures of people on the tour it's it's a real diverse crowd it's really cool to see and since we're right off 95 like you get off exit 31 you it's really like we're in metro new york city yeah it's really easy to get to here and then when you get off exit we're right there so it's a really great uh, destination. Actually, we just got approval by the state uh, uh, Department of Transportation for uh, attraction signs on the highway, designated by the Department of Transportation. So when you drive in on the highway, there's going to be a sign that says, Attraction, Exit 31, Two Roads Brewing. It's going to be really, really cool. So thank you, Connecticut. <laughs> That's cool. And I will say, we're up on the second floor here in the tasting room, and you look out, there's like this is this quaint old you know New York New England town and you've got the little Sitco gas station but then you've got the little houses that are just like there's so much like 1950s and earlier New England this is like one of these towns that's caught in this beautiful era and I would say it's worth coming out here to Stratford Connecticut anytime and I'm gonna come out more often but hey we're still gonna check out we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio all right. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're doing a special Beer Week episode up here in Stratford, Connecticut at Two Roads Brewing with Master Brewer Phil Markowski. So, Phil, earlier we talked about, you know, I said 
I know if I come to your brewery and in the tasting room, I'm going to get super fresh, quality-controlled beer, and, and, and the lines are going to be clean. But the reason I mention that is that many many great bars in New York City are doing the same thing. Where, where There's good Brazil bars and other really great beer bars in New York City where we know their, their lines are getting cleaned, they have great management, and they're also getting the best and freshest beers in. But it does it does happen to me sometimes where I'm out at a bar that might not be noted as a craft beer bar, but has has a good lineup of beers, and, and I've had the the lines not being clean, and so I don't want to disparage any bars, but I would say that I feel that the breweries have to really get behind making sure that the accounts they're serving at are are, are really doing their best to step it up in terms of freshness and, and cleanliness. And I don't know if you guys as brewers ever talk about that. Or have to talk to your sales staff about that, but it's becoming a bigger issue for me. As as I go out and I'm like, wow, there's hundreds of places in New York City for New York City Beer Week, but maybe some of them I don't want to drink the beer at. Well, there is there is a reality that there's a small minority of, of places that maybe don't clean their lines as as often, maybe don't aren't conscious about moving the beer through this through very quickly, and you know, for, perhaps for those reasons, they're not as busy with craft beer drinkers so they don't turn the beer around um i mean what's unprecedented now in my mind is is there's so many places that have the utmost respect for beer for craft beer and and do their due diligence and keeping their lines clean of keeping all conditions optimal to serve the freshest beer possible um but for those places that that don't necessarily uh have that degree of knowledge or education, uh, there, it is still a, a problem where you do have to police what they do. And again, relying on people like John and our sales staff to to uh, identify that problem and then address it um, is, is still a challenge in craft brewing today. Um, but I can say that it's it is much better than it used to be in that, that again, there's so many places that have great respect for craft beer in beer in general, and at whatever expense it, it takes, have uh, clean lines, have have just the right equipment to dispense you know, the beer properly. One thing that I look for is that there's not like a certificate. I have a feeling that the industry is going to get together sometime soon and start giving a certificate towards you know beer bars and restaurants that really have clean lines and are, and are doing their their best thing. We have the Good Brew Seal, this cask mark that came over from England. So we're going to do some more shows about that in March. But, but... For the near term, the way I've always judged it is a litmus test. And I'm like, oh, if you have a Two Roads on or in, in the city, the Barrier or other half, there's certain breweries that only the, the finest establishments are able to get and, and are aware of. So I feel like you have to judge the, 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 the beer bar by also the beer that it's serving. And I don't know how you feel about that, John, as a sales rep. Do you target certain bars and look for certain beers when you're out in the city? I mean... To a certain extent, yes. I mean, uh, we want to be a part of uh, all of the top craft beer accounts in New York, for sure. Uh, that doesn't mean we're not, you know, spreading our wings and going into other places as well, because I think, you know, I think we're making such quality beer that, it, you know, it doesn't have to be just for craft beer bars. Um, that said, you know, thankfully, I've run into very, very few uh, occasions where we've had issues with lines or anything else. Um, really, like less, than, like I can count them on less than one hand. So, um, it's it's been really good. So I, I think even even the uh, you know the places that aren't necessarily considered the top craft beer bars, I think they're even starting to get into the the idea of what they have to do to really maintain uh, craft beer customers and you know us as as craft beer. Uh, uh, clients and and you know the the quality standards are high and you know if um, if something doesn't taste right it's not going to move so and that's also part of my job and like Phil was saying you know like I have to go in and make sure it's tasting all right and that's actually one of the better parts of the job is because I get to go and have a pint and uh, <laughs> test it out so I'm not complaining at all uh, but yeah it's 99 percent of the time it, it, it tastes as it should so I'm uh, makes my job easier. Well, I, I like the beers we're tasting today. I'll tell you that. Right, so, what's what's this next beer, Emily? This is this is unorthodox. This is our rye Russian Imperial Stout, uh, nine point two percent. It's one of our year rounds. Uh, comes in a twenty two ounce and uh, end draft. Yeah, end draft, and it's um, 
So think of it as an aggressively hoppy Russian Imperial Stout. So kind of a, you know, again, a roadless travel kind of beer. And uh, we when did we introduce this? Uh, In the fall? Let's see, it was October, oh. November. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's become one of our year-round beers. I had beers. the full experience. I started with the pills. Yeah. I drove up here. I needed, I needed an after-drive <laughs> beer. <laughs> then I had the workers' comp saison. Then we had the road to ruin double IPA. And now we're on to this beautiful beer, Unorthodox. Wow. Yep. How do you do it, Phil? I mean, I mean, how do you do it? <laughs> you're, you're, you're a master you're of with water styles. and barley and, and, and hops <laughs> and uh, wait a couple of weeks and you're there. Um, but how's this, the waiting for you? Uh, on, on a side note, no, you know, you, you've probably heard of in Finland they have the sati beer. Yes. And our friends at Be United up not too far from here in, in Oxford, Connecticut, they brought a Pekka, the sati maker, from Finland over a few weeks ago. And he made a small batch of uh, sati at their compound in Oxford. And we've been waiting for that to be released to the city. But that's just one batch of beer, you know? Uh, I don't know. These are thoughts I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also getting lost. This unorthodox now. I'm, I'm just getting, like, anecdotal, you know? That's <laughs> okay. You're allowed. It's your show. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but, uh, I mean, you know, brewing is... is second nature to me now and it's uh but that said there's still a lot of mystery to it and still this kind of excitement that you know see a batch bubbling away and know the kind of transformation that's taking place from something that's kind of this sweet syrupy mixture before you add the yeast and then the yeast transforms it for you um into this whole different thing that that excitement hasn't worn off after all these years i mean it's still there um it still seems like magic sometimes, like I'm a participant in this magic thing. Um, so there, there's still this, this. even though I'm old, I've been doing this 25 years, there's still this childlike enthusiasm that, that comes through at times. And, and that's why I love brewing. And, and it, uh, it is never boring to me. It's never old hat. It's, uh, it's always exciting. How did you make this beer? This is amazing. Uh, this one, again, we started with water. Um, but, it, it, you know, this has, this this beer, Unorthodox, um, much of it, its complexity derives from the different types of malts. And there's eight different malts in this beer, including, uh, you know, roasted barley, which is an essential part of any stout, black malt, caramel malts, uh, wheat malt, uh, Munich malt, which is a, you know, base malt that's more highly roasted, and then of course pilsner malt. So all of these things combined, um, and rye malt is is a significant part of this recipe. There's that spiciness, that kind of uh, dryness that you get from rye malt that's that's in here, um, and then the hops. So you know, it's not it's not one sided. Again, I believe in balance. It's very balanced. It's not. It's not. You know, it's not too roasty. Some some, some the of these end imperial stouts the are too roasty, and they almost burn your mouth. And it's not too alcoholic. What's the ABV on this? It's nine point two. It tastes it tastes really well balanced. So I, the, I guess, you, I, I I guess you're saying you're well balanced beer, right? The alcohol. I don't want and, and the alcohol is the other component. You know, you have malt, you have hops, and you have alcohol, and I don't want either one to dominate. So they all kind of work together. Maybe at times you pick one out more than the other. And then seconds later, that changes. So that's to me, that's the the goal of a well-made beer is to is to have that kind of balance that you can't quite pin down one thing over the other. John, as as a sales staff here, mm-hmm. I mean, how, how does Two Roads conduct tastings for for you guys? And I mean, do you guys just tasting a group, or are you guys? How do you talk about the beers that, that they're making? Because there's so many different beers. <clears throat> are you saying when we when we when I sell or well, when, when, when you're learning about a beer a at the brewery as a team? Oh well, we just how do go, you guys do it? We we worship at the altar of Phil. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, no, no, honestly, <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> it's a joke, but seriously though, uh, we you know we get our sales team together and honestly we learn so much when we have Phil come and talk about each beer, and we we try to do it every time, even the beers that we know and love and have known for years now, um, we'll have Phil go back over them because there's always new things that, that he hits upon that it's like, oh, yeah, that, you know. I, I always go back to uh, uh, Lychee. Uh, 
Oh, lychee fruit, yes. Yeah, <laughs> which I still don't even really know for sure what that is, but I know it's a uh, it's a fruit and it's uh, found in a couple of our beers, uh, the flavors. But uh, but no, honestly, uh, um, we always have uh, Phil talk to us about all the beers and especially the new ones, and uh, it's always exciting because then then he'll he'll let us in on a couple secrets about upcoming plans and uh, and we all get into a tizzy. So yeah, it's it's all about Phil. <laughs> this beer is great because I, I know it's a strong beer. It's a Russian imperial stout, unorthodox, but at nine and a half percent, it makes sense, and it, it really is well balanced. And uh, I'm repeating what you said. That's all right. I like that because there's too many times. I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm pissed off. I love so many great craft beers, but I'm pissed when something just doesn't work, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm tired of beers that are, are too strong but taste too strong, you know. This I could drink all night, even at nine and a half percent. I think I am tonight. <laughs> We're still here in Stratford, Connecticut. But Emily, what about you? So the, I, I want to showcase also the the really interesting people that you have working here. You know, you've got John who was an MTV and had his own you know beertography thing. But Emily, you've got this kind of semi-famous uh, beer cartoon. What's it called again? It's called Pints and Panels. Uh, I've been doing it since May of. Uh, 2010, so about five years. Uh, I started it when I was at uh, a student at the Center for Cartoon Studies, which is a real place in Vermont where you can get your MFA in cartooning. And I left a pretty lucrative job in finance to go there, much to the dismay of my mother. Uh, <laughs> that was a terrible conversation. But you make have. beer cartoons. Just give us so it's tell us the site and we'll so yeah, it's uh, Pints and Panels, and I update it. <laughs> Twice a week, uh, been do- I've been doing about over. I've done about five hundred or so beer reviews, and they're all positive because I have the the feeling that you know beer should be a very positive experience, and so and and craft beer now, especially after the uh, past couple of years, quality is just really the quality of most craft beer is really high. So you know you're going to have a good a good beer experience regardless of what you're drinking. So I yeah, I usually draw them on weekends and post them Tuesdays and Thursdays on my website and yeah it's it's a hobby but it's a lot of fun to do and I get to drink a lot of really cool beers in the process so and draw well, so it's cool that that you're working here and I, I think I'm trying to get to this two roads is the essence is a very cool place and I, I love I still love this the quaint New England town I'll tell you that again <laughs> being here because I grew up in New England too and it's like wow these old houses haven't changed the old gas station hasn't changed but there's this brand new brewery here I mean no. it must mean something to the community right to have a oh, brewery oh it's great here. it's great and 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 also and somebody who's going to come to Stratford for the first time. Um, you're it's making it sound like Vermont, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is actually a pretty the, beautiful town. It is. And we have the, the beach and the town square and whatnot. But yeah, it's still an old, you know, it's an old mill town. Yeah. So. And there's there's unfortunately more and more, um, there are plenty of abandoned buildings here. But um, the things we discovered when we were renovating this building to create two roads, um, there's just lots of character that you can still see in our tasting room. There's still the original floors from 1911 that are clear maple floors, which I don't know if you can buy clear maple these days, but clear maple. And then there's divots throughout the the room where they, they used to do machining up on that level. So somebody's footprints over decades and decades wore divots in the floor that are still there. And, and just to kind of see that, come into the tasting room, see that, and realize the history of this building how long it's been around, how many people have, you know, walked its corridors over the years. It, it you know, to me, it, it just really warms the heart. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, a great feeling to so know it, that we're it, just continuing something is, that is different. You don't know what to it. expect. You know, go up to Cooperstown, Omegang is a pastoral setting and, you know, it's, it's, it's by a lake. And there's, there's other breweries that are just little industrial, you know, spaces. But this is really one of the more beautiful brewery and tasting rooms I've been to. So I would say if you're in New York City, come, come up here, come up to Stratford, check it out. Um, you're having a great time. And I think you can drink. Like, what, what are the, the tasting room hours? Because I thought I could drink for like 10 hours here. Uh, we're open every day except Monday, uh, Tuesday through Saturday, 12 to 9. Sundays, 12 to 7. Uh, we do tours Fridays at 630 Saturdays we do tours on the hour, so twelve to five every hour. So I can't drink for ten hours yeah. here. You can drink for nine hours. You drink nine. for nine <laughs> hours, and then Sundays one, three, and five uh, we do tours, and our tours are done by a couple of our scientists. We have a staff of three scientists, um, 
Yeah, three. Um, two of them do tours. And Kendra, and we have our amazing Yale PhD microbiologist on staff whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday, Kendra. Super <laughs> smart people. Um, super smart people doing amazing things. And then, yeah, we've got an amazing... I've never heard a single bad thing about our tour ever. It's $5. We give you plenty of beer. We teach you a lot about the brewing process. It's an hour. Um, again, yeah, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about our tour. So, uh, Phil Markowski. So, there's a lot of great people that we know. They're, they're home brewers. A lot of people at home brewers are talking about becoming pro brewers. Or people are just young and they want to work in a brewery. What would, what would you, how would you rec- recommend somebody to get started these days? Well, um, you know, fortunately, there are more opportunities to get started these days. Um, you know, I think the, the most important thing is follow your passion, you know, follow your heart. If brewing is what you're truly passionate about, then find a way to get into doing it professionally. And again, there are more opportunities these days, fortunately. Um, we are growing here at Two Roads, and somebody's truly into brewing or wants to get uh, into the physical side of making beer, send us a resume. All right, well, I'll say this has been an enjoyable day, and I'm going to stay here all night <laughs> and hang out until the taste room closes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at Two Roads in uh, Stratford, Connecticut. I recommend if you're in New York City, please come up here. It's, it's, it's a short visit. But we had great guests tonight, Phil Markowski, head brewer at Two Roads, John Kleinchester, our New York City rep, and Emily Salter, who does the PR here. Um, lots going on. And th- in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Phil, John, and Emily for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I've had way too many unorthodox Russian <laughs> imperial stouts, but I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and to our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. yeah. yeah.